Welcome to the unspoken truths of digital leadership, living the leadership values. Our guests will talk about the unspoken truths of leadership, the values, the dark side and the learnings from dealing with conflict with integrity. Discover how they lead more effectively, how they make decisions, how they live their leadership values, and how they deal with the consequences that happen because of the decisions that they make. I am John Opoon, I will be your host of the show. Please note that there may be explicit language used during the interview. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey, and welcome to another episode of the Unspoken Truths of Digital Leadership, Living the Leadership Values, where our guests will talk about the unspoken truths of leadership, the dark side, and the learnings from dealing with conflict with integrity. And today I have a very special guest with me. He is the Chief Leadership Officer, Scott McCarthy. Hey, thanks for having me on. Thanks, Scott, for coming on, and I appreciate it. So, Scott, please introduce yourself. Like, how did you get involved in leadership, and what what was your decision and your choice to make it coming into leadership? <laughs> how much time we got? That <laughs> we could we can make this a long story. <laughs> Any story you want. <laughs> well, yeah, I'll give I'll give uh, the calls notes. Uh, you know, it's leadership's been something that's been uh, close to my heart pretty much all my life. I didn't realize it until uh, obviously as I got grew up and became an adult. But even growing up in in high school, uh, growing up on the east coast of Canada, and everything I was putting my hands on, I didn't realize at the time. But it was leadership based. So if you talk to me about what my hobbies were, well, I was a um, part of the Army Cadet program over here, which is all about developing. Um, children and teens and becoming leaders. Uh, I didn't play sports mainly because uh, not that I wasn't good, although I wasn't that great anyway, uh, <laughs> but it was just difficult for my family to build support me in sports. So what did I end up doing? Well, I became a, a referee. I and mean, you think about it, the referee is the leader of the court. They're the ones that are enforcing the rules and making sure the players play the game along those rules. So I just, everything was touching leadership. So Ended up applying and getting into the Royal Military College of Canada and joined the Canadian Army and becoming an officer. So that that really obviously truly got my leadership going. So at the age of 24, I commanded a transport platoon of 85 soldiers, ended up commanding a squadron of 200 in my, um, when I was around 34. And in between that time, I started getting into leadership space because... I realized, one, I need a life after the Army. I'm not going to stay in the Army for my entire life. I'm still young, and uh, once I hit my pension time, I'm going to want something else to do. But two, after my deployment to Canada, Afghanistan, uh, four years at our training center, I realized that I really like coaching. I really like helping to develop and mentor others and all these things. And obviously, leadership was part of my core values and who I was so moving forward leadership was born as uh, at first a hobby podcast and now full-blown side hustle for me because i still serve day to day as a member of the Canadian army so that's the cole's notes version there oh wow that's awesome what made you join the army though the cadet program <laughs> the the cadet program or the army because those are well, two the, different th- the cadet and then army <laughs> okay so yeah uh the cadet program was uh, there were where I grew up in rural Newfoundland um, on the East Coast. There wasn't a whole lot to do, so this was the one of the things that were available for me to do. Again, 
uh, due to my family situation, I only had one vehicle. My dad worked during the day. So my parents couldn't really support me in sports because that was always held during, you know, right after school. And we we're still waiting for my dad to come home. So like, how do I get home when my school is you know, 20 minutes to half an hour's drive away? It's just not wasn't feasible. Whereas the cadet program was in the evenings, weekends and sports you know when sports weren't being played so that's kind of what drew me into doing that uh the army cadets obviously influenced it but the funny story that i always tell was uh, i was in grade nine and the recruiting center came to our school to give a presentation and they they presented about the royal military college and i said that's where i'm going to go i'm going to go there why because where i grew up people did one of three things when they graduated high school they either went and worked they went to Memorial University of Newfoundland in St. John's, or they went to College of North Atlantic in St. John's. I'm like, I want to be different. I'm going to go somewhere. So I'm going to go to RMC. Well, when I show up to RMC, we're all exactly the same. Everyone's in uniform. Everyone has the exact same haircut. Everyone's <laughs> going to the chow hall at the same time, et cetera, et cetera. So that's my going joke is that I want to be so different. I end up going to the one school where everyone was identical. <laughs> so during your cadet times what kind of skills uh did they teach about leadership at such a young age actually you think about it they they taught all the basics the all the fundamentals uh self-discipline you know you're you're responsible to make sure your uniform was squared away you're responsible to make sure your hair was cut and all this different things uh, you get you get taught actually drills. So drills like you know those formations and movements and stuff like that. Well, that's that's all about discipline as well. And then the actual cadet program has its own um, uh, rank structure. So as you progress through the program, you do get given responsibilities. You do get promoted, and then you get in charge of you know platoons of of other cadets. So out of my Four change years in the program, I ended up uh, going up to the second highest level rank there within the program. Ended up being in charge of 30-odd folks in our, our local core and then being selected for staff at one of the summer camps and being in charge of another 20 or 30 people from all across our region of the country uh, for that summer. So the, all the basics are there. You, you do get taught like leadership fundamentals such as lead by example, taking leading yourself taking care of yourself um you know and all those tenets so it, it, it was a solid foundation for sure uh, you touched upon uh, leading yourself what do you mean by by that right so um out of my own podcast my website i i talk about three domains of leadership uh leading yourself is the first one so how do you take care of yourself as a leader how do you um, you know, take care of your well-being, that being your physical health, your mental health. How do you go about being self-disciplined? How do you develop yourself? How do you continuously learn? Because as leaders, we need to be continuously learning. I often say the moment you become useless to your organizations, the moment you stop learning because the mm. world's always changing, right? We'll get off this call and, and literally you can check the news and the world might have changed. So if you're not continuously, you know, leading yourself, i.e., improving yourself keeping yourself at your peak performance and that's the ultimate goal when you lead yourself is hitting that peak performance with your mindset your physical condition your well-being so everything is you know top notch and you can make the best decisions possible because that's what we do as leaders we need to make decisions that is all about leading yourself <laughs> 
and I'm glad to go into the other two if you want to. Yeah, absolutely. Please do. Uh, so um, the next one's leading your team. So leading your teams with how you take the care of the individual people in your organization. Jane, John, Scott, Susie, Sally, all these um, individuals. So how do you take care of them as individuals? How do you build them up? The ultimate goal that you want out of leading your team is building a high-performing team. So how do you go about doing that? How do you select the best people in bringing them into your team? How do you hold your team accountable to individuals? How do you break down the barriers? How do you resolve conflict? All these different things. Why? So that you can turn around and build a high-performing team. The high-performing team is a team that uh, self-holds people to account accountability. And I, when I say accountability, I don't mean necessarily, oh, you screwed up. You, you know, we got to punish you. It's like, hey, are you on top of this task? Do you got it done? Do you need help? Where can I come in? How can I help? Because I'm my job here is done. I, I got free time. I can give you a hand. Oh, I know you're struggling right now. Let me get in. You know, yes, it's putting a bit of extra burden on me, but it's for the greater good of the team. So you build that bond, which ultimately becomes that high-performing team. And then finally, the final domain is leading your organization. So how do you increase your organizational output for businesses? Obviously, that's the bottom line for nonprofits. Maybe that's getting uh, more donations in and stuff like this. Your organizational output and leading your leading your organization is all about taking care of that institution. You know, think Google, think Apple, think, you know, Kia, Chrysler, all these different companies. That those are organizations. So how do you increase effectiveness? How do you increase efficiency? How do you develop and establish and hold a great organizational culture? These are all aspects of leading your organization that you want to think about towards that goal of increasing organizational output. Do you find now there's more camaraderie in business organizations because of um, the trainings from leadership, like from the army and stuff that comes into it? I think um, yes and no. Uh, those organizations who are embracing these types of talks and professional development with bringing in speakers like myself, yourself, you know, Jocko and, and Mark Devine and all these great for, you know, military commanders that have uh, uh, that are out there now, those organizations that are embracing this, I think they're feeling those, you know, those impacts and slowly see the gains from them. What I don't think is also not happening, though, is a lot of the companies out there and businesses out there, they don't see the immediate impact to their bottom line. So they're like, what's the point? Why do I care? I don't care. You know, sure, this person was a Navy SEAL or was in the Canadian Army or was this or that. That has nothing to do with my marketing business or whatever type of business it is. All I care about is selling and increasing profits. How are they going to help me that they're not? And unfortunately, don't they don't see that it's not the short game, it's the long game. And I'm going to be having some guests on my show that's talking about, you know, going for talent. And a lot of people out there right now, they're hiring for qualifications mm -hmm. and, and experience. Well, that's not necessarily talent. Talent is people who have the right mindset, the right mentality of getting the job done. Just because I don't necessarily have 20 years of experience in marketing doesn't mean I don't have talent. I can learn from mm -hmm. someone who has 20 years of experience. Hire me a coach for, for a few thousand bucks, and guess what? I'll be able to suck them, drive their 20 years of experience pretty quickly and a lot, lot, lot cheaper. 
But what I have that you can't necessarily train me is drive, motivation, self-discipline, right? The ability to create, establish a team that's going to take care of themselves. Those are things you can't train for. So that's where they're missing their mark for sure. And I started to notice this as well, that a lot of the people that were from the, that came from uh, army background um, or the SEALs or whatever, you know, um, you're very adaptable and very flexible in terms of learning new skills, but fast as well. Yeah, so that, that goes to the way our organization runs. So think about it. I, I'm a member of the Canadian Armed Forces. The Canadian Armed Forces as an institution's goal is to develop a chief of defense staff, i.e. the top commanding general, every three to five years. That's mm -hmm. what it needs to do. So in order to do that, we need to pipeline our people through a wide range of experiences. So how do you do that? Well, you, you keep changing jobs. You keep changing jobs every one to two years. I don't, I've never held a job longer than three years in almost 20 years of service. <laughs> Is that so intentional from the organization? That's exactly intentional because it's not a job every position that I hold is a learning opportunity. It's a development mm -hmm. occasion. So that makes us the, the highly adaptable because we don't get necessarily set in our ways. And the jobs that we show up, we get put into, I'm not necessarily exactly trained to do that job, but I got to learn it. I got to figure it out and I have to dive in and, and get on with it. I can't sit there and wallow in self-pity like, no, oh, I wasn't never trained to do this. Either provide <laughs> me the training or I'm just going to sit here and twiddle my thumbs. Well, guess what? That doesn't fly in the army because you'll get fired. You get shuffled off to the side. Your career will end and someone else will win that role and they'll figure it out and they'll keep moving. So that, that's what really makes us adaptable because in the end, it's not about us. It's about the greater organization. It's about the team. So if we let the organization down, we're letting our teammates down. And that is something that just does not fly in the, in, in the forces in, in any military. And professional military anyway uh so that enables us to be very agile very flexible humble even because now we've been through all these different experiences we had no idea what we were getting into we figured it out and we moved on to the next challenge where we had no idea what the heck we were doing again <laughs> <laughs> that sounds awesome and in your leadership experience what would you say your most challenging uh period was oh that's a, yeah that's a tough and great question <laughs> the, the, i think there's been so many challenges um there have been all kinds of different challenges um in different types right so when i was a brand new platoon commander was actually learning what my leadership style was going to be and mm. how i was going to employ my uh employ my people and how did i learn and then as I moved up into my deployment to Kandahar, Afghanistan, where I was embedded with the Afghan National Army for seven months, how do my challenge was, how do I influence these guys to do what's right? But at the same time, knowing that it wasn't my decision, whatever they decided to do. So a completely different challenge, right? And then as a squadron commander of 200 members, it's like, how do I build an organizational culture for one when I showed up was slightly fractured and splitting that needed to get blended and mended and rebuilt up to something that everyone could buy into and, and hold to heart and say, okay, 
and see themselves a part of it. So to say which one was the greatest challenge is really difficult because they've been <laughs> there have been so many all kind you know different types of challenge that you can't really stack them one against the other. Let's pull it this way. Let's say in terms of establishing values within your team. Right. Yeah. So with that one would have been the, as a squadron commander, because when you're commanding, you know, a relatively large organization, I'm talking about uh, 200 members total, uh, very deep. Um, I went and what I mean by deep was very, you know, la layers of supervisors throughout uh, and then showing up to a fractured culture and, and seeing what needed to get done. But I spent every day for two years constantly saying the same thing over because that message needed to get heard by everyone like seven times each. And that's what they say. It takes someone seven times to hear a message before they start believing it. Mm -hmm. So I didn't get to see all 200 every single day. We we're spread across the base in nine different buildings. I was uh, broken up into, we call them troops. You can look at them like departments. So I had a supply troop, a transport troop, and a maintenance troop who had their leadership team with embedded in it as well. So my directs heard me every single day, every single week. But then did their directs hear it? Did their directs hear it? How were they inter uh, interpreting it and passing it? You know, mm. play the telephone game when we were kids in kindergarten. Teacher says something in one person's ear, and once it gets you know through 20, 30 students later, it's a completely different message, right? Yes. It could be like I like bananas, and it shows up to be, uh, you know, England's a great country at the end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Comple that's true. Com right. So, how do you mitigate that? How do you you know sh not necessarily cut the telephone, but get around it so that I'm in front. So I spent so much time out of my office, what we referred to walking the lines every week, every sometimes daily, just out walking around, spreading the message of the, the organizational culture, the vision, the intent for the, for the organization for two years. That was a huge challenge for sure. Uh, in the end, I think I think I was pretty successful. I don't want to get sound too egotistical, but I felt like a lot of the team and a lot of the team told me that yes we got it they were moving forward towards it and we had a lot of great successes in two years what was it like with communications i assume that it has to be very clear and direct so that there is no miscommunication and no misinterpretations communication is a problem in everywhere and anywhere right <laughs> yes uh, yeah. We can have, uh, you know, think about it. So not to try to get too emotional or anything here, but one of the number one reasons why couples, married couples who see them, each other every day, who mm -hmm. know everything about each other, the number one reason for marriage failures is breakdown of communication. Yeah. So it's, it's the easiest yet hardest thing for us as human beings to do. So with that, um, there, there's multiple you know, aspects that you need to take in consideration when communicating. One is, you know, how clear is your message? How do you relate? How are you relating the message to the individual who's receiving it? Because the way I say something may not be necessarily how the listener who's listening to this show is interpreting it. So mm -hmm. I need to understand how they interpret it so that I can relay my message in the way that they understand and that means you need to change your style depending on the situation, depending on the person even. So the way I communicate it 
would be always slightly different. If I'm just out, you know, casually walking around, the way I communicated would be a little bit different than if I had the entire squadron in an auditorium and I was up doing a, a big briefing or presentation or taking questions and answers. Yes, the core me is still there. Everyone could see that, but you're, you're communicating in just a little bit different way. Now, when you're also communicating in, in a deep organization, there are times when you need to enable your subordinates to be able to put their take on what you're communicating as well, because they need to add value. I always harped on my on my um, off junior officers that if you're not adding value, then why are you there? What are you doing? Now, don't get me wrong. There are sometimes messages that are extremely hard to add value to, i.e. everyone show up at 1030. Well, how do you add value to a message like that? That's just clean and clear. But when I'm talking about, okay, this is the organizational culture I want to establish for us. Well, how do you go about adding value? So you need to also deliberately give them leeway so they can communicate to their folks as well, because that's how they're going to establish their connection with their team, which is also mm -hmm. part of my team. So there's so many different facets and aspects you need to take in consideration. Again, your individual style, uh, the location, the individual. I think this is the one that a lot of people misinterpret is that they don't understand. They, they just communicate how they communicate without taking consideration how the other person receives. <clears throat> and then finally, the last thing I, I would offer is that when there's a breakdown, and something goes arise and you don't necessarily get what you're looking for out of your subordinates, then look to you first as the point of failure. You know, did you actually give clear direction, clear communication? Did you give them the opportunity to ask questions? Did you give them an opportunity to feed, you know, to come back to it, you know, come back, you know, was it was it understood by them? Did you communicate in the way that they need to hear it by the way you feel like saying it? And most of the time, and I mean a significant most of the time, i.e. up around 90%, you're at fault, not the person who um, you're you are you know angry with or that you know dropped the ball or whatever. It's most of the time it's a breakdown of communication on your end. So make sure you do that, you know, thought analysis before you start going off on the other person and you touched upon um the responsibility of fault how would and also uh, conflict as well how would you go about that if people miscommunicated um and they needed to you know to solve the conflict in a way yeah um Miscommunication again, like I said, it's it's one of the reasons for conflict. It's one of the reasons for you know relationship breakdowns, and I don't necessarily mean marital relationships, but like you know work workshop relationships. Um, so one of the things that you need to do is you know everyone needs a breather moment, especially if tensions are high and frustrations mm -hmm. are high. So just everyone take a breather moment. Maybe that's five minutes. Maybe that's a half an hour. Maybe that's a day or two you need to realize how long that's going to take. And sometimes you like, you can even ask that question, like how long do you need to calm down? <laughs> or, you know, to, to not be so angry, you know, to get your head squared away properly. And, and you can even do that yourself when you get angry. Like, okay, how long am I going to be pissed off about this particular issue? 
I'm going to be hanging, you know, half an hour. All right, cool. Give yourself half an hour. Done. After a half an hour, you're done. So, you know, you kind of put that time limit on it. If you never ask that question, people would just stew on it forever. It's like, okay, it's okay. You're allowed to be angry. Go about, be angry for 30 minutes, half an hour or an hour, a day, whatever it is. Now let's come back. Okay. Now, the most difficult thing with eliminating or sorry, with conflicts is the need to actually eliminate the emotion around mm -hmm. it because conflict is an emotional thing. I believe it was, uh, oh, I forget what the author was now, but um, he said that emotions are neither good nor bad. They just are. But the problem is, is that when you get into conflict, especially in a workplace conflict, emotions will cloud the reasons for it. So conflicts usually occur, especially in communication, when one person uh, states something and someone else misinterprets it the wrong way. Mm -hmm. Right. It happens all the time. But normally, if it goes to a point of being a major conflict, it's because there's been a pattern, a history of this. So one person has been communicating in one way and the other person doesn't interpret that way, but they communicate another way. And there's just been this huge disconnect to a point where um, it, it blows up. It blows up between them. So you need to first resolve that immediate tension, i.e. give them space. Let them go away to cool down, come back, say, okay, now let's just look at the facts of what's going on in an attempt to eliminate those um, that emotional resentment that's going that that resides in both of these people and allow them to actually look at the facts is like, okay, when I said I needed you here for 930, I, it was because the store was opening at 930. The fact that I didn't know you had to drop off your child and, and, and for school that day, you know, I, that's on you, right? And you just go through these facts to help people understand factually, okay, what was the situation? What led to the conflict? And then what led to, you know, essentially it blowing up. But what's, what's the resolution? What's the way forward? Because we can't just continuously look at the past and what was going on, but enabling, okay, what can be an action plan here mm -hmm. so that we don't have this going forward because we cannot be, can't be that high performing team if we continuously have this conflict. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. That's, um, I think stating the truth and the facts like you mentioned just helps with uh, people seeing the situation in why it matters <laughs> and then what role do they play as well when it comes to it as well yeah no for sure for sure and everyone you know there's no uh generally uh, unless it's you know very obvious but generally there's no um individual who's causing the conflict it's usually parts on both ends right or multiple ends depending on how big the conflict is but rarely is it one individual that's completely at fault everyone, mm, has, a, everyone has a piece of that pie right it's always a three sides of the story right yeah yeah three sides of the story exactly <laughs> there's their side um my side or the the truth <laughs> that's right and it goes back to what i've talked about is how we both, you know, communicate and how we receive it. And then that truth ends up being in the middle because I said one thing, it may not be completely clear. They interpret it another way. But meanwhile, it's like, 
oh, the truth is actually the mixture of the two, which you, know, <laughs> you cut everything away. Like, oh, okay, that's actually, you know, it's not what's going on here. This is actually the core problem. And so when it came to you managing conflicts yourself uh, in terms of when things are in high tension and high stress, how how do you deal with you know your emotions and the things that come with it? <laughs> um, yeah, that's a great question, and it's it's something which I coach a lot of leaders on. In that, when there's conflicts, there's high stress. A lot of people want to get really excited, right? And because the situation is bringing their energy up and bringing you know, it's kind of like a, I don't know if you're a parent, but a lot of parents when their kids are yelling, they start yelling above their kids. Because they mm -hmm. think this is how I'm actually going to get attention. Reality is that's the complete inverse of what you want to do. What you want to do in these situations is be that calm being force that shows up that gets everyone to stop yelling, to stop screaming, to stop, you know, what we refer to as spinning, being wound up, and actually calms down. And often use the phrase smooth as fast. So in a lot of these situations where there's conflict, especially for us, where there's conflict or there's high tension, high stress, it's because there's some kind of uh, timeline deadline that's about, uh, in front of us that we need to achieve. Something's causing that stress, anxiety or whatever. But I often say to people smooth as fast. You will do things 10 times faster, smoothly, than trying to rush through it and get it, get whatever it is done. And that's something that often causes conflict is people uh, misinterpreting how to do work or how to achieve tasks and stuff like this because they have different ways about it. So if you take the time and you smooth that out so that everyone has an understanding how they're going to go from A to B, hit the objective, then you're not going to have that conflict. But when the conflict's already there, tension's already high, then you need to get back in there be the calming force. So you show up, you speak in a level tone, you show that calming presence and demeanor. You don't get worked up. You don't, you know, go through those. It's not a time to go through breathing exercises, standing in front of everyone and go, <laughs> <laughs> right. you, you need that done ahead of time because as the leader, everyone's going to look at you as soon as you show up. So be that calming force. And all suddenly every, the room will calm down. Right. You talk a little bit slower, a little bit softer. Everyone else will soften a little bit. Tensions will go down. Those em that emotional highs will go down with it. And suddenly the clouds, you know, we refer to as the fog of war, not being able to see the real objective. So all these other things that are going on that are either causing the conflict, causing the stress, causing the anxiety that aren't really true factors of getting the solution will go away. And then people can see clearly, think clearly, and then we can objectively go towards, okay, how do we resolve this problem in front of us? But it all starts with you. If you don't, if you don't have that moment, and what I refer to as a condor moment, i.e. You know, basically sitting back and smoking a cigar and taking the time to calm yourself down, to think about the problem, think about potential solutions, and bringing yourself in as a calm leader, and allowing everyone else to follow your lead, follow your example, then you're just going to continue. You're going to keep and keep that energy up. And all suddenly you're just going to be spinning out of control before you know it. Well, I mean, I'm curious in terms of your routine in managing your estates. 
Well, what, what, do you that, what, does, what, what does that look like in terms of managing your emotional state and oh. your calmness that you have? <laughs> so, well, you know, there's a few different ways, right? Um, so for me personally, um, I often just tell just tell myself internally, like getting angry is not going to help the situation. Mm. Worrying what you know, you know, when I find myself a little bit anxious, worrying about something like how is worrying helping you right now? And then uh, because I'm a really rational type person, right? So like it's not. So then why are you doing it? I don't know. Then don't do it. Roger that. <laughs> right. It, and it's literally just just as point blank and straight and to the point of that, because I've realized, you know, at a young age, like worrying, getting anxious, getting worked up about different things does not help that situation and getting me towards whatever objective it is that I need to achieve. So why do it? It's a waste of energy. It's a waste of time. You're not getting anything out of it. Now, of course, not everyone, you know, obviously not everyone thinks that way or reacts that way. So there's a few different other things you can do, like obviously taking that moment, just going through a breathing exercise. Uh, you know, th there's 50 million different um, meditation apps out there, breathing apps, uh, box breathing, something that former U.S. Navy SEAL Commander Mark Devine talks about, where you breathe in for four seconds, hold for four seconds, breathe out for four, hold for four. And that actually gets your... Uh, 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 stimulates your vagus nerve, which calms you down, right? That is something else that you can do. So there there are different types of mentalities, uh, uh, things to go out there. Um, you can also do visualization exercises. So I know there's a conflict going on with my team. I can sit back in my office for about a couple of minutes and just visualize, okay, I'm going to go in. I'm going to be calm. I'm going to be calm. Everyone else is going to be worked up. I can actually see them as I enter, how worked up they are, but as I start talking and engaging people, I can see and feel the room's energy lessening, the frustrations lessening. You can go through those types of exercises too, which is something I've, I've coached some people on. So those are my my rec my three is uh, rationalize it. You know, what I refer to as rationalization. So you know, go through those questions of you know what what is it doing for you right now, and knowing the answers to nothing. Uh, the second thing is is the uh, taking that moment and going through the breathing exercises and then finally the visualization exercises. Oh, that's interesting. I'm already using those without realizing. <laughs> so if I can just say something, uh, when you were asking me those questions and I said, and I started talking a little bit softer and actually uh, mentioning and being soft and all this stuff, you actually soften yourself, your, your, your visual cues and everything. See, I could see it. You're like just a little bit, a little bit more chill, just sitting in your chair and the way you're looking <laughs> at the screen. <laughs> it's just because, um, it's your energy that comes across. I'm, 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 I know the full fact that I'm very energy sensitive, right? So I reflect a lot of, uh, the other person's energy. Yeah. So, and that comes across through, you know, how I see you or the, the tone of voice, um, and just the energy that we connect through, you know, of course, this is now on via internet, but even then I can still feel your energy in a way. Yep, exactly. Just, sure. just the sense of aura and connection that you give out, um, the way you talk, the tonality, maybe the, the calmness that all comes through very clearly. Yep. Um, and that's something that I've just noticed for myself. Um, 
and I'm not sure, you know, for the listeners, everyone's different, but it's finding one that works for you. Exactly. And I found, I found that this, the free that you mentioned about, uh, self-affirmation, uh, words, self-talking, <laughs> yep. the words that you talk to yourself about, like, if you don't talk to your best friend like that, would you, you know, would you talk to your friend the way you talk to yourself? That's the thing I think was the phrase it was, you know, would you talk to your friend or your best friend the way you talk to yourself negatively? Right. And if the answer is no, then don't do it. <laughs> like, exactly. if, yeah, it's, it's, you know, you wouldn't treat your friend, best friend nasty or mean. I hope. <laughs> us as, as human beings, we're, we're so far the worst to ourselves in comparison to how others like, you know, and I've done a lot of work on this because growing up, I, I, I had a lot of that self-doubt and negativity and self-esteem issues and stuff, like that, which is normal, right? And, you know, mm -hmm. all teenagers go through all that crap, right? But, yeah, you know, you work through it. Some people work through it better than others. And in the end, that first bit I talked that I talked about or what I refer to as my personal rationalization or, you know, self-talk, self-affirmation, uh, however you want to word it. So I got through those things like, well, what is, you know, wasn't thinking like this going to do for me? Is that helping the situation? No, but it's funny because how many people will will um, give up on themselves, right? Like, go ahead mm -hmm. and do, a, a, you know, how many people we're recording this on the 25th of January in four to five days uh, of the people that set New Year's resolutions, 85% of them will have given up on themselves. Yeah, it's, an, it, it's a crazy number. So actually on the 1st of February, just because of that, on the 1st of February, me and a group of men are actually starting the 75 hard pro and the first deal of 75 hard program. I picked the 1st of February as the start date for that reason, because most people are failed by then. But the biggest thing is, is like we're going to be setting ourselves up with accountability partners so that when you do have those moments of self doubt, you got someone that you can look into and they can be that mirror and go, you're stupid. <laughs> <laughs> you can do this. You have the time. You have the ability to do whatever you need to do today to get the get your task done. So, get do get going. Stop doubting yourself because there's no need for it. But we're the worst on ourselves. <laughs> we we are we are worst enemies when it comes to being uh, kind and nicer to ourselves. That's right. Um, as you mentioned accountability, how important would you say that is for in terms of? Uh, organizations um well in teams as well so um let's start with the teams aspect um accountability to me is what differentiates good teams from great teams mm. it, it, it's really what's going to drive that high performing team aspect and when i tell oh let me back up what i feel like is that a lot of people don't understand accountability People look at accountability as a negative um, response to something, i.e. I made a mistake and now my supervisor is going to hold me accountable for that mistake. And, and that's true. That happens for sure. But the reality is, is that accountability is highly positive when done in the right way. So if I am falling behind on a project and one of my team members holds me to account saying, hey, Scott, uh, you know, you, you're you're lagging behind here. We're, we're, we've been waiting on this part of the project for a day now when you said you'd have it to us two days ago. 
and it doesn't look like you're anywhere near done. What's going on? Like you got to get this done for the rest of us. That's that. That's my teammate holding me to account. It's like, no, I said I would do something. I'm not doing it. Why am I not doing it? Get it done. And all of a sudden, he's like, holy crap! It totally you know slipped off my radar. Mm. Now the other part is like, yeah, I'll get it done. I'll prioritize it. I'm gonna work late tonight. I promise to you guys, it'll be done tomorrow morning, ready for you when you show up to work. And then I'll help out with your part, just because. Um, you know, I, that's on me now, right? I owe you one because now you guys are falling behind because of my actions or inaction, right? That's positive accountability right there. Well, let's take that even a step further. Hey, Scott, you know, you said you'd have this to us two days ago. Uh, you don't have it. You're like, you know, what the heck's going on? I'm like, oh, my wife's been sick. She's in the hospital. Uh, I'm, you know, like, I'm here at work, but I'm not actually here. I leave work. I go to the hospital. I'm there until 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night. I get about three hours worth of sleep. I show up here. And, you know, I'm not operating whatsoever. Like, holy crap. How did we not know that? Well, you know, I'm pretty private. And I don't talk about this stuff. Like, you know what? Don't worry about it. We'll take care of it. All right. And then it's like, that is what's going to drive, you know, that high performing team. Because one, uh, the first scenario, um, they're holding the person who account, like fixing their mistakes, identifying, you know, developing an action plan, fixing the, the mistake. Second scenario is there's something that is obviously drained that person's performance. And the rest of the team is going to pick the pick up the slack, take care of them so that they can focus on what's really sucking their performance right now and that they can get through this hump in the road. And, and at the end of the day, like, it's not like, oh, okay, yeah, I took that project on for Scott, so give me a pay raise. No, it's that we managed to get this project done on time, on target, on budget, whatever, pick one, right? So that's, mm. really, that's where they become great teams. When you don't have that happen, and this is what happens, like, the boss shows up like, hey, we were expecting this to be done. Why is this not done? Well, we've been waiting on so-and-so. We've been waiting on Scott for a week now to get his part done into us, but it's not here. So I can't do anything about it. Okay. Let's, you know, all right, Scott, you're going to get reprimand. Now I'm going to hold you to that negative account, a negative side of accountability. I.e., Here's a reprimand. You know, <laughs> one more, you're fired, <clears throat> which obviously has to happen too, but all that could be avoided. If the positive aspect of accountability was done in the first place. Right. So that's the difference between, good and great teams how does it impact an organization because when teams are doing that well team organizations are made up of people and individuals and teams so all suddenly that it begins to grow into the culture because one team starts doing acting that way the supervisors see it they try to they, they instill into the other teams also you have an organizational culture around accountability and high performance this first, all the special forces um, units out there, you know, SEALs, Green Berets, our JTF2, um, SAS, all these guys, right? It's all around being high-performing teams of accountability. And then what happens is individuals start self-selecting or actually self-deselecting themselves from the teams. Like, I don't like this. I don't like people, you know, looking over my shoulder, making sure I got my job done. And, and when I don't, you know, not accepting my excuses, I'm getting out of here. So then also your weaker performers leave, you hear the higher performance out there, like what's going on in the organization, they start applying for the jobs. Right? 
That's how special forces go through recruitment. They have that level of um, discipline and accountability in there, that standard that they expect out of their people. The people who know that they're going to achieve that standard are the people who are the ones that are applying to go there. So all of a sudden now, your, your little team who's being held each other accountable and driving themselves to becoming a high-performing team is also driving organizational output up because all of a sudden you have nothing but high performers that wants in your organization. High performers equals higher output. Teams are holding each other accountable. You see your bottom line going up, whatever that bottom line is. Again, like I said, it could be profits. It could be you know donations. It could be whatever. But that is the, the way that you're driving. And that's how your people are driving to success. And how important would you say transparency is, especially for those that, you know, do you know, prefer to have private lives or don't prefer to share um, life with work? Transparency and vulnerability is uh, not exactly the same, but highly linked in my mind. Uh, mm. I think as a leader, you need to be transparent especially when you have expectations of your people and you're not necessarily meeting those expectations from time to time. So I'll give you an example, right? I expect uh, when I hold a meeting, everyone to show up on time. Mm -hmm. So when I'm chairing the meeting, everyone's to be there on time. I show up, I usually make sure I'm the last one in as, as the chair. Sometimes I get held up and I'll walk in and, and as a senior officer, People won't question me on that because in, in army culture, you don't question your superiors uh, with that type of stuff. But I'll be the transparent leader. I'm like, sorry, guys, uh, held up, held you. You know, you guys have been sitting here for 15 minutes waiting for me. The boss called me on a particular uh, uh, sensitive topic. We need to have a conversation about it. I didn't need, I don't own them, owe them, sorry, that explanation. I don't have mm. to do it. But if I expect them to show up on time and I don't show up on time and I had a reason not to show up on time, then I should give them that reason to be transparent at that moment. Why? Because now I am showing them that I am not better than them. You see, if I showed up and said, all right, let's go meeting on, let's roll. They'll never have the question answered. Why was the boss late? Mm -hmm. And he expected me to be here on time. Well, yeah. I, I show up, I tell them my boss held me behind and I can't tell him no uh, for this topic. Uh, so now I'm answering that question. I'm being transparent. The second part I mentioned was, you know, being a bit vulnerable. Mm. We humans, we connect through vulnerability. And leadership is all about connection. It's all about being connected with your team, your people. So you need to be vulnerable sometimes. So right now and here in Canada, we're a couple of days away from Bell Let's Talk. And Bell is a big telecommunications uh, company in the country, and they sponsor every year uh, Mental Health Awareness Day. And I talk about it like, yeah, I've, I've, I've seen psychologists. I've had to come back from Afghanistan. I need to have a talk with some people. We've gone through some issues, stuff like this. I'm being vulnerable. I have no issues. Why? Because it shows my people that, yes, I am human. I go through these things, too. Mm -hmm. At the same point, if you're going through these things, yes, go ahead. You have my support. I will back you. I will be there for you, right? And it, it could be it's, it's something as 
as serious as mental health or it could be something as you know talking about what your favorite hockey team is and the game last night but you know being transparent being vulnerable like oh yeah that sucked blah 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 you know i, I remember going through that these pains or this time and it sucked but this is what i got out of it this is how you build those connections with people because now they know they can trust you. You've been there. You've, you've gone through it. You, you've shown them that there's the other side to the situation. And then they can see themselves getting through it. And that's mm. all that leadership right there. Awesome. Thank you so much. And for those that want to um, find out more about what you do, Scott, where can they go? Movingforwardleadership.com uh, is is my headquarters. That's where uh, my website is. You can subscribe to my own podcast, Moving Forward Leadership Podcast there uh, as well. Um, uh, there's there's resources page in there. If you want to contact me, it's all there. My social media links are at the bottom of the homepage. Easy to find. So movingforwardleadership.com. Now, if you guys want a um, free copy of my uh, ebook, The Nine Foundations of Leadership, just go to movingforleadership.com forward slash download. And uh, I'm going to email you a copy of that for free. So you can grab a copy and check that out for sure. Awesome. I'll make sure to put the links in the show notes as well. That's great. Thank you, Scott, so much for your time. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks. Thanks for having me. It's, it's been fun. It's been awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Unspoken Truths of Digital Leadership. I hope you found this interview insightful and useful. Please remember to subscribe and review the podcast. And if you have found it useful, please feel free to send it and share it to your network as I will be very appreciative that it will spread and help out more people in the world. If you would like more information or the show notes and resources that I will be providing you, then please go to www johnopoon.com go to the blog and find the podcast section step up show up and stay up take care